was Frederick Day in Annapolis this week, and for the first time, both Frederick County and Frederick City sent representatives to advocate on behalf of their residents. And while people might have tuned in for the State of the Union, on Wednesday morning, Larry Hogan gave his State of the State. I'm Heather Mangilio, and this is the In Session Podcast, where we bring Annapolis to you. County and State House reporter Steve Bonell joins me now in our studio to recap his week in Annapolis. So, Steve, what happened in Annapolis this week? I guess the main highlight, as you alluded to, Frederick Day on Tuesday was the first time that both the city of Frederick and Frederick County held a joint event kind of showcasing what's going on in the county. Capital projects were involved. Uh, there was kind of a projector screen on the back of the room in room 170 of the house office building kind of showing uh, what state projects or kind of what local projects that might need state or will need state assistance uh, the county and city are both currently working on. So, All right, perfect. And before we get back to the Frederick Day, can you tell me a little bit more about what went down in the state of the state with Larry Hogan? Sure. Um, I think very much the message I got from standing in the House chamber on Wednesday was uh, the need to work together, especially since, you know, Annapolis is right down the road from Washington, D.C., uh, Governor Larry Hogan repeated several times the need to work in a bipartisan fashion to kind of accomplish goals. Uh, a couple of the main topics he hit on were crime in Baltimore City, but he also hit on gerrymandering. Uh, and there were a few other topics. But again, um, bar- bipartisanship was very much the message I think he tried to instill in people in the chamber on Wednesday. So, And after um, hearing that state of the state and talking with our delegates, did anyone have any thing to say about what governor hogan said i think basically you know they were they were proud that he did you know instill that message i know delegate jesse Pepe has said multiple times as and he's the delegation chair for our county that it's important to try and look at issues that you can unite on obviously you know there are some that do form along party lines like a lot of gun legislation tends to go that way and that's been kind of the focus in the beginning part of the session but I think him and others on the delegation were just happy. And you did see it a couple times where Hogan would say some things and both everyone in the chamber, basically Democrats and Republicans, it would stand up and give him an applause, which is, I think, reminiscent or kind of indicates that there are issues that both political parties do agree on, even at the state level. All right. Well, speaking of our delegation, let's move to Frederick Day. Can you give me a brief overview about what happened and why they have this day? Sure. Um, so Frederick Day is pretty much just a chance, like I said, to showcase what's going on in the county. And it's very much uh, a chance to do business. I know I caught up with Jesse Pippi and pretty much everyone of the delegation stopped by at some points from 1130 to 130 uh, on Tuesday. And I asked Pippi, it seemed like, you know, part of this was, you know, lobbying for local projects. And Pippi said, yeah, you know, I go to a lot of receptions and there usually is always an ask, you know, always people ask, you know, for money or for for favors and whatnot. Uh, I don't I don't, you know, suppose it's any different here. I mean, there's a lot of projects uh, throughout Frederick County. Um, I know the delegation is always uh, working very hard to ensure that uh, the county back home is well represented. And if there are projects, uh, you know, that in some occasion need state assistance, you know, we look at them. Um, but yeah, no, this is great. I mean, it's a great turnout today. Uh, a lot of folks, a lot of local leaders here, and uh, we're happy to have them in Annapolis. You know, you, it's a lot about face-to-face contact, but at the end of the day, you are, you know, trying to advocate for projects and kind of positions that you believe in, and that was definitely part of what Tuesday's festivities were about. All right, well, if there's always an ask, what are the asks that are coming from people in Frederick County? 
One of them is the Lake Linganore dredging project near the Newmarket Linganore area. Uh, so there's a long backstory to this, but essentially right now, Jan Garner, the county executive, asked for $6 million to kind of prolong the life of that dredging project. Uh, I did an article recently where about 30,000 cubic yards of sediment were moved from the lake. And I caught up with Mike Marshner, who was at the event Tuesday, just to talk about it a little bit. And he's deputy, uh, deputy chief administrative officer with the county. He's been heavily involved. And a lot of the points he was making to me is that it took years to get the permitting done for this. I remember him talking about like getting a crane to lift the dredge in the water was like a huge permit that on itself that just needed to be gotten. Well, you know, the project that we have, it's underway. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's not a shovel. Well, it is a shovel-ready project, although it's an underwater shovel. Right. It's a dredge. Um, you know, we're only getting about a third of the material out, and that's why we, we sought some additional funding. And with that additional funding, and with some additional funding that the county and the city had, we're looking to be able to get up to two-thirds of it out. So um, this is a complex project, required a lot of permitting, and it's not clear to me that if we don't maximize our withdrawal at this point, how much we'll be able to take out long-term because it took so long to get the project developed, get the funding in place. Or it was like six years. Yeah, long exactly. Long you probably recall. And then, of course, the permitting and then the acceptance of the community to have us in the water with these dredges, the trucks on the road, etc. So this may be the most opportune time to get this material out. And if we could get the amount that we've requested, $6 million, if we could get that additional funding, we could get out two-thirds of the material, and that would probably set the city up to have to not worry about this for another 50 years. Again, Mike Marshall just said in terms of improving the water quality, you know, Lake Linganore is the primary source of drinking water for the city of Frederick. I know Janice told me that as well, that that's why it's important to keep going on and continue with this project. So, All right, so dredging. Anything else that they requested from the delegation? So going to the city, the city of Frederick has an interesting uh, dilemma right now in terms of relocating its police headquarters. I caught up with the chief, Ed Hargis, who told me that he has only been five, and he's leaving coincidentally in two and a half weeks. But when he started as police police uh, police chief uh, five six years ago, and everybody who I've talked to previously said that the building was too small the day they moved in. And it, since I've been here in 2015, that's certainly been proved along the way. So we've made just about every renovation we can make, trying to fit people in different places, expand units. Um, we have three satellite offices on the outside edges. Um, so that brings a lot of uh, efficiency issues up, you know, communication. You have detectives walking over to headquarters to look at evidence. Evidence technicians have to go talk to the detectives across the street. So the, the police department moved into the courthouse complex in 1982. 2015-2016, um, we started taking a look at building a new police headquarters. Uh, with the space needs assessment, we should be in about 45,000 square foot right now. We're only in 25,000, so we're short 20,000. And then when we project out where we need to be 20, 30 years from now, um, we need somewhere between 15, 60,000 square foot. Yeah, we're looking at somewhere between 18 and 24 million dollars. Um, obviously, the city CIP funding is not going to be able to handle a 24 million dollar expenditure, so we need the state assistance to close that gap. Uh, kind of rewinding here, the reason why they need a new facility and more space is there's evidence, kind of logistical issues of transferring evidence because it's also not quite like if you walk through the police headquarters, it's a very 
I think it's fair to say it's very disjointed. The rooms and hallways are kind of, you know, slapped together. And he told me they've done as much renovation as they can to, you know, deal with their needs. But they're at the point where they really just need a new space for both evidence, you know, needs and also just straight up communication needs. And anything else that the county asked for or the city asked for or anything that you think we should know about Frederick Day? Uh, yeah, I, I would like to note, I spoke with the state secretary of budget and management, uh, David Brinkley there, and he used to be a former state senator uh, for Frederick County years ago. And he also kind of drove, drove home the point that it's important just to make face-to-face contact. Certainly a lot of people have been to Frederick and they know what's going on. By that, I mean legislators and staff. But here you can also bring them all in the same room. People get to taste some of the great food that's from Frederick. And I got to tell you, they really look forward to it. And, uh, and it's, it's more about, you know, rubbing elbows, being able to put faces with names, because we see all that in letters and correspondence and everything else that goes on. But this is something that I know that the legislature looks forward to. And I think for Frederick City and the county, it's a great outreach effort. Well, since you mentioned the delegation, um, usually we do this on Wednesday. Uh, right. We're a little bit behind schedule uh, due to some technical issues. Um, but the delegation also did something weird this week for their last delegation meeting, which is meeting a day early. Right. They, mo- uh, they met Thursday morning to vote on certain things. The lead item was something that Dan Cox, Delegate Dan Cox, has worked on. I've reported on a bit about including Mount Airy in the urban renewal program, uh, which just basically would give them more latitude and hopefully going after buildings that have sat for a while. I know there's an old bank building that's kind of the subject of this that sat on North Main Street uh, for a while. Um, And it's just basically all in the vein of revitalization. So I talked with the town administrator, David Warrington, who kind of has used this in Chevrolet and other jurisdictions. And him and others have described it as just another tool in the toolbox to get these property owners who have perhaps just let their property sit to the table to see how they can work together to kind of revitalize those buildings so and of course um, as someone who spends a lot of time in Mount Airy I do find this incredibly interesting um, just because I also cover Brunswick and I think we've also heard from Frederick um, just about how they've had some trouble with blighted buildings or vacant buildings and here in Mount Airy you mentioned the bank building um, which is also on Main Street a little bit further down from um, City Hall and truth to be fair, when you look at it from the outside, it's not quite as apparent that it's, it's vacant right. as you might with some of the buildings in Frederick or in Brunswick. Um, and then there's the other building, the Flat Iron Building, which is actually owned by the town, so it wouldn't right. fall under this, um, I guess, ordinance or renewal. It, it basically, and what they decided and they voted on to approve, the only one who disapproved was Senator Michael Hoff because during the meeting he was arguing that the law was perhaps overreaching. It gave the town the ability to tax these buildings at a higher property tax, up to 100%, I think he said. And overall, just he thinks that the you know the laws that were put on place were kind of – it was a long list. And he's like, I wanted to read up on it. And then he read up on it during the meeting. He's like, yeah, I'm just not comfortable moving forward with this. Everyone else voted on it, though. And to your point um, – and to Dan Cox, Cox's point, he, he kept saying that it needs to be strict constitutional test against the state constitution. It's really just meant, and I think Warrington would agree with this, that it's really just meant to get property owners to the table to work together. And as a last resort, whether that be in court or another avenue, then it gets to that point. But it's really just 
trying to kind of force a discussion between the property owner and the town in terms of how do we revitalize this building? You know, do we, can we offer you any assistance through the state program, whether it be through bonds or whatnot? So yeah, that's definitely, it's going to be interesting to see. Again, this has to pass the full house, but it's got the blessing, a letter of support from the Ferry County delegation. Most local bills like this, courtesy bills get through the house or Senate pretty easily. So I don't, you know, don't quote me on it, but I, I sense this getting through. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if it, if and when it gets through, how it'll be implemented. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if other people will take this up for their own municipalities. Um, like I said, it's interesting because it's this one building that everyone's talking about in Mount Airy, but it's not, you know, several buildings like we see other places. So it is interesting that they're... That delegate Cox is really leading a charge um, here in Mount Airy, but that's something that we'll, I'm sure we'll follow. It goes to the point um, that, you know, these delegates, you know, although there are state issues, that they have to act uh, to their constituents in these small towns, and that's part of their duty. I think Dan Cox is really – I think he, he's dealt with a couple of Mount Airy issues this session, um, and I think that he's got good ties to people there, and this is just another example of him just kind of lending – his hand at the state level to kind of help with their local issues. All right. And what else did the delegation discuss? So there are the one proposal that was voted down was the class L liquor license. Now this is kind of complicated and not complicated, but delegate Ken Kerr uh, introduced a bill that essentially was passed by Allegheny County at the local level last year, I believe, which allows this class L liquor license allows breweries, distilleries, wineries to sell uh, Maryland craft beverages that they don't make on premises. So, for instance, take McClintock Distilling downtown. They'd be able to, with this license, which is $250 annually, sell Monoxy Brewing Company beer or other beverages like that during events. So it really just kind of widens the uh, the items and products that these businesses can sell. Um, that failed because a lot of uh, people were skeptical of kind of I know Senator Ron Young kept saying he doesn't want these businesses to turn into bars. And then a debate kind of ensued between him, him and Kerr about Kerr saying, well, these businesses close at 10 o'clock. They're not as open as late as bars. But uh, Senator Young has said that basically, you know, if we allow them to sell these different types of alcohol and whatnot, that it does create that kind of mold and kind of belief. So that's why that was voted down. Only Kerr and Carolyn Lewis Young voted to approve that. So it didn't get a letter of support. Now, I just want to clarify, that doesn't mean that they wrote a letter against it. They just didn't get a letter of support. So we'll see how that bill progresses. Ken's definitely going to take that through, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if the House in general supports it, but that's just another big one that I've been reporting on previously. So, And that one's interesting, too, and just because, you know, when you go to a place like um, downtown where you have Idiom or Smokeho- or Smoketown, um, you kind of go there because you want to try their beer, so it'd be interesting to see all right, well, I can get Monocacy's beer at Idiom or Attaboy's at Smoke, uh, Smoketown. So it's kind of interesting. Right. I will clarify that these are meant for kind of event spaces, and I think those places could do it. Um, but when you have a McClintock, a Tenth Ward distilling, or like other, even Old Mother has a good amount of space. Uh, not that those other places couldn't do it. I want to clarify that as well. But uh, it's really meant to, again, kind of spread the wealth of these businesses. You know, one of the things Kerr kept saying is that one of the things that impressed me is that as many of these breweries, distilleries, and wineries that are popping up, how collaborative they are and working with each other and spreading the word. 
and really that, you know, as one succeeds, so does the other. Because I think a lot of people, including myself, are willing to dabble and try a little bit of from everywhere. And uh, definitely during special events, this, this liquor license would help uh, all those businesses that would be featured at whatever venue happens to be the event that day. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to follow that along. Um, anything else that has happened with our delegation with this being their last meeting? That's pretty much, I mean, they just wanted to get some votes on the books. One of the interesting things that was a quirky thing to the city of Frederick, uh, Delegate Carol Krim brought forward on behalf of the city is that uh, Clustered Spires uh, Golf Club, currently, uh, you know, the city uh, owns the liquor license through a vendor. So they basically want to just uh, lay it off to, you know, the golf club to deal with that for, you know, less liability, essentially, is how I took it. But uh, it's definitely going to be in that, that, that pass five to three. There was a lot of discussion about that. Um, uh, but it essentially passed and that they eventually negotiated that. Well, if they stopped liquor sales at 10 PM, then we're fine with it. Um, and that was interesting because I know Senator Young voted for that. And, you know, I know Del, uh, Del Kerr was, you know, dealing with an alcohol bill and he said, that's where they just differ. You know, he just, you know, they were able to discuss it and whatnot. Um, and that was an interesting kind of smaller thing they were discussing Thursday morning. All right. Well, I know that this week was very busy in Annapolis because it was the last day for bills to get dropped. Right, right, right. Um, so what kind of happens in Annapolis now that the House has set a deadline? Right. So the deadline for the House delegates to drop their bills or rather submit them was February 6th at 5 p.m. And that doesn't mean a bill has died, but it needs to go through several procedural hurdles before it even gets her in a committee. And one of the things I also want to note is that there has been almost 2,000 bills filed between the Senate and House of Delegates already. So you're already like backed up, you know, a lot of bills have had hearings, but a lot of bills have had yet to have hearings. So if you didn't get your bill in yet, it's going to be really hard for it to even pass through one chamber and then crossover days in March, early March at some point. If you're not, if your bill hasn't passed the Senate or House by that date and it doesn't cross over, then I mean, we're kicking up, I think, the date that it was April 6th, the sign you die. So you're looking at really only roughly like just under a month to pass in the other chamber. And it's just time is of the essence. You know, it's just these hearings take a while. But then as the bills get backed up and backed up, you know, testimony is going to be shorter and you want to make sure every bill has a hearing. But at the same time, like I said, you have 2000 bills. So it's like, there's only time so much time in the day. And I've definitely gotten the sense, even the month I've been down there that it's just the speed of everything is just picking up on the day to day. Well, I understand that some bills have already gone through and passed or some of them have already been withdrawn. So there are some, I guess of the 2000, there's been some that have been already handled. Right. I mean, going back to the assault weapons buyback uh, fund that Senator Young, but some bills like that, if you know they're dead, once a fiscal note hits them, then you kind of just have to rework them. Uh, but to your point, I mean, it's it's interesting. And I think that's the discussion, quite frankly, senators and delegates are having now is procedurally. I know Senator Huff put in a bill that would limit senators to 20 bills per session. It'd be interesting to see if the House does anything similar or comes up in the next couple of years, because they're just dealing with a lot of legislation. Like I cover, I've covered the county council for the last 16, 17 months, and they're busy. They meet every week and they have issues on well, most weeks that garner news coverage. But 
this 90-day period in Annapolis, and I know to many veteran reporters, they're probably like, we all know this, but it's just the speed of everything down there is just incredible, frankly. Well, it's interesting. If you were to have a bill that would limit how many bills could be passed. um, Well, not not just the bills that you could propose, like to propose, not pass, I guess. Yeah, so but like you're limited by how many you bring up. And I'm I'm sure even if you had all the members of the all the members of the Senate and all the members of the House limited to 20, you're still talking. Oh, yes. A lot of bills. But it is interesting because it is this is the time that you you find there's an issue with our law. This is the only time in our year that you can change it. And I'm sure leading up to those, you know, months leading up to the session that they were planning and seeing the issues and trying to figure out what bills need to be done. But you really only have 90 days to change laws if you think they need to be changed. Right. And ideally, you know, if senators and delegates go through the session and like Senator, I hate to go back, but the assault weapons buyback fund, hopefully Senator Young, you know, knowing it now has started working on tweaking it. And even through the interim between 2020 and 2021, if he comes back with any version of a bill next year, it'll be much more likely to pass. Hopefully that's, that's the logic I, I see and how I've heard from senators and delegates on the floor talking about this issue, that that's how they kind of see, that's how you proceed. Like they're in them, you're off, but that doesn't mean you can't work with DLS and other state agencies to kind of better the bill that you had before. Well, I think it's kind of a joke. I've heard so many times people say it's not Groundhog Day anymore. Like we're not coming back with this bill. But that's the one thing that people don't always talk about is that um, you might have a bill and it might go up and you might withdraw it as what's happening with the what happened with the ban. Um, but then you the next year you might bring it back and then it might just fail and you bring it back again. I think like Karen Lewis Young has had multiple bills where she's brought them back like three, four, five years in a row. Right, right. Now, yeah, she, uh, the medical aid and dying bill has been up for several years. I know a bill I'm working on, which just would add kind of uh, anti-discrimination language to people kind of admitted into hospitals. She told me that that was kind of introduced last year and then pulled because the original sponsor uh, was told that, you know, Lewis Young is, you know, knowledgeable in these issues and working with her and whatnot. So, uh, she's definitely a good example of people who put in a lot of bills, but then, you know, they get caught up in the process or there's issues with them. And she, to her credit, she tries and brings them back every year, but some bills just take two, three, even more years than that to get into a form that will pass, not just the center house, but the other chamber. And then after that, the governor's got to sign it, which I mean, for most, he'll probably sign them anyway, but, um, it's just interesting to see how that process unfolds in the month I've been down there. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else coming up this week that we should know about? Uh, so Kerwin, I believe that the bill didn't drop. It's going to be dropping later today in terms of on the Senate side, the funding requirements and whatnot. So I'm going to be definitely trying to look at the local angle of that and how it impact our schools. It's something, as I you know, you've heard me say before, there's a lot of unanswered questions in terms of how are we going to fund how are certain jurisdictions going to fund this? Um, what is that? Where's that funding going to come from, essentially? Uh, so that's the big statewide issue. There are obviously a lot of local bills I've been following, but uh, I think Kerwin, just because everyone's been talking about it, and now we're finally getting into the part of session where decisions are going to start to be made in terms of how do we fund it, how much do we fund, how do some jurisdictions that are in trouble, you know, is the state going to try and offer assistance to them or is it going to, they're just going to have to figure it out on their own? There's a lot of question marks. All right. Perfect. Well, I'm going to steal the, the attention for a minute and That's talk fine. about a national issue That's fine. Um, because it's, 
it's not necessarily related to our state, but it, uh, or I mean, it's related to our state, but it's not necessarily our state house. But because we're talking about federal legislation and that kind of fits in within session, I'm going to quickly talk about USAMRID, um, which is the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. Um, I spoke about this a lot on Uncut, if you um, listen to that one as well. But over the summer, there were some issues with biosecurity and uh, work in its high-level path, uh, high-level laboratories with deal with um, highly sensitive and highly um, dangerous disease material, like the uh, bacteria that causes the plague or um, the Ebola virus. It had been shut down by the CDC um, because of these biosecurity lapses. But just this week, we learned that um, senators Chris Van Hollen and Ben Cardin, as well as four members of the Maryland Congress delegation, um, sent a letter to the defense secretary um, questioning why a combined $104 million was being withheld from USAMRID and USAMRICD, which is the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Chemical Defense, which is at Aberdeen Proving Ground. So that's a story kind of that we've been following. Um, and today, uh, U, um, U.S. Senators Car- Cardin and Van Hollen actually came to Fort Detrick and toured USAMRID and they continue to say, hey, these are important institutions and they need their funding. First of all, good work on remembering all those acronyms. It's a mouthful on all those. But it's interesting. Uh, I kind of see this as a local, state, and federal issue because obviously it's the U.S. Army that's the federal arm of the government. But then you have it right next to or in the city of Frederick, I believe. So local officials are very much interested in what's going on there just for health for God forbid, any health impacts or, you know, if there are any things that happened like last summer. But then there's also state health law that's been kind of involved, you know, and I know Delegate Krim has kind of looked at Comar, the state, and changes there in terms of how notifications are sent out in case something like that happened last summer happens again, uh, kind of with private labs. So that's kind of the distinction. I know that Delegate Lewis Young has submitted a bill that would require uh, private labs to kind of notify law enforcement and first responders in case anything happens, not the public, because you don't want that information out there. So that anyone knows where these labs are, but, um, you know, it's just interesting in that regard that it's seeing, you know, uh, action at the local state and federal level. And I'll add just one more thing that delegate Dan Cox was initially skeptical of Lewis Young's proposal, but then once he put it as, I think he put it as a, a first responders kind of protection bill, then he was on board. It's like, oh, I see what you're trying to do here. You know, you don't want all these first responders reacting to an incident, not knowing what might be in these labs. Yeah, it's interesting with the Comar stuff that you brought up because I've been um, working with the state health department um, to try to figure out what's going on because the secretary of health for Maryland requested that he be alerted, I guess, if there was a potential exposure, um, which is kind of what happened at USAMRED. There was no exposure, but there was the potential. Um, but in the delegation briefing that they, the Frederick delegation got, um, one of the members of Maryland Department of Health actually you know, included the what happened at USAMRED as a reason for this right. a- addition. Right. The health department has not necessarily confirmed that again, even though they told that to the delegation. Um, but it is interesting because they're making these response changes, kind of like um, Karen Liu Chung's BSL-3 lab bill, um, but they don't apply to places like USAMRED because they're already federally... Um, over- they, the oversight is federal. Right, right. And that's where it's, it's different. But at the same time... I- 
it's very few, you know, we can connect some issues like affordable housing from local to the state to the federal level. But I think very much of the fact that like this is in our backyard, this lab, and that it involves the city and then it involves even Jan Garner was expressed a little bit disappointed in terms of like there wasn't enough of a communication when the incident happened last summer. She would have liked to see things go a little bit differently. And then at the state level, you've seen the Comar changes. And again, it, to beat a dead horse, it's it's a federal lab. So it's it's very it's a direct example of kind of crossover into all levels of government, which I find interesting. Well, and I so, think it, the other thing that um that goes with this is, um, I we we're hearing that you know this funding could affect um some you know different aspects whether they uh, the uh, senators today said that there are projects that they are ready to do but they can't because they don't have the funding and that does possibly affect employment um and. Fort True. Detrick, and not, not just UCMR, but Fort Detrick as a whole, which is a huge um, area with a lot of different um, laboratories and organizations on it. But that's a, the biggest employer for Frederick County. So if you have a place that's True. not getting its funding, that could affect people um, in terms of, you know, living in here in Frederick, spending their dollars in our shops and Property stores. Property taxes, too, Property if they taxes, live here, yeah. like the whole nine. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens here. Right. Well, Steve, is there anything else? Nah, it's nice to be in the studio for a change. Hopefully the technical difficulties will sort themselves out next week. Uh, and we'll be back in Annapolis kind of calling in and just reporting the latest. Well, so We'll be thinking of you as you try to handle all the 2,000 bills. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. In Session is produced by me, Heather Mangilio, and Steve Bonell. It is edited by Graham Cullen. Mm-hmm.